0: Well, let us continue in worship this morning as we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Just as a reminder, as Kevin was saying, the Lord is here, God is here, and we are here to meet with, with the Lord and to hear from his word. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison. To have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they turned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the man whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. On October 30th, 1961, somewhere in the Arctic Ocean, at around 11.32 a.m., the Soviet Union detonated a bomb which produced a mushroom cloud more than 37 miles high. The flash from the explosion was seen within a 620-mile radius. Consider the damage. An uninhabited village located about 34 miles away from the explosion site was completely leveled. Buildings located more than 100 miles away were also damaged from the explosion. It was even reported that the heat from the blast would have caused third-degree burns within a 62-mile radius. Now, due to its massive power, the bomb was nicknamed the Tsar Bomba, which means king of the bombs. No kidding. According to one encyclopedia, it is the largest, most powerful nuclear weapon ever set off. It produced the most powerful human-made explosion ever recorded. In its original form, the bomb had a 100 megaton capacity. But because of the high risk uh, involved in releasing that amount of energy during testing, it was was reduced in half to 50 megatons, which is estimated to be 3,800 times the strength of the bomb dropped on Hiroshima during World War II. Truly a power to behold. Now, the secret to that power is a process called nuclear fusion, which is the very process that is constantly taking place within the very core of the sun, whereby four hydrogen atoms, atoms fuse into one helium atom. That atomic fusion releases incredible amounts of energy. This is why nuclear fusion is not something to be careless about. Once that nuclear energy is released, containment might be impossible and the effects devastating. Now, you're probably wondering, why are we talking about this? Well, it has much to do with Acts 5, 19 through 26, for our passage is meant to show us that there is a power far greater than nuclear power, which, once unleashed, it will not be stopped, contained... And the effects produced by it are inevitable. It will spread not only a few miles, but into all the world, and it will change everything. What power is this? Well, it is a power to which nothing in nature compares. Because by definition, it transcends nature. It is supernatural. It is a power that far far surpasses the confines of creation It is a power that doesn't suffer from the limitations of space, time, or matter. It is the power that created all lesser powers. It is, in fact, the power that created the universe, including the sun itself. What is that power? Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts... Let all the earth fear, fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. What is this supernatural power that far surpasses all other powers? God's word. God's word. We are amazed. We are amazed at the power of God. Or the concentrated energy of the sun and what it can do. And yet God spoke the sun into existence. Why? Here's why. God speaks as God. Meaning, God speaks powerfully. Therefore, if God speaks the sun into existence, there is no alternative but for the sun to come into existence. There is no power in the universe that can thwart the power of God's Word because His Word is the only power that is uncreated and independent from all other powers. God doesn't need any help. The Word of God is the power of God, therefore it cannot and will not be contained, but it will accomplish all its purposes always this then is the main point of acts 5 19 through 26 god intervened for the sake of his word god intervened for the sake of his word some were trying to silence god's word so god made it even louder so here's the first highlight from our text how did he do this? The means of divine intervention. How did he do it? How did he intervene? An angel of the Lord. Verse 19. But during the nights, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. After the apostles were put in public prison, that very night, God intervened by releasing them from prison through an angelic being, which immediately leads us to a basic question, right? What is the question? Why an angel? Why an angel? This reminded me of the times when my daughter will come to me with a bottle or a jar, and without saying anything, she will just hand it to me, which I know immediately what to do. I'm supposed to open it. I'm supposed to open it. When the lid is in there too tight, she comes to me for help. The problem is when I can't open it. But just so, to, so that we avoid any premature confusion, let us be clear that this is not why God sent an angel to open the prison doors. It's not like God tried, but he couldn't. So he sent his strongest angel to do the work. Is not like the one who spoke everything into existence and sustains everything by his word suddenly met his match and he couldn't handle the prison doors. Sounds ridiculous. But the question remains, why an angel? This will not be the last time that we will see an angel in the book of Acts. They will appear throughout the book. Now, I believe the appearances of angels have a deeper meaning than what we might think at first. Here are a few examples. Follow me on this. When Mary was told that she would give birth to the savior of the world, an angel carried the news. That's an important moment. When during the actual birth of Jesus, a choir of angels saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men." That's an important moment. After enduring a very intense time of temptation in the desert, which also marked the beginning of his public ministry, angels came and ministered to Jesus. That's an important moment. When Jesus defeated death and left the tomb empty, during the resurrection, who showed up? Angels appeared to announce it to those who came looking for his body. That's a very important moment. Finally, and to top it all off, as the risen Jesus ascended into heaven to take his place at the right hand of God and assume all authority in heaven and on earth, while the disciples were gazing at this glorious sight, two angels showed up and said, stop gazing. This Jesus who went up will return do you get the point? It seems to me that this is an undeniable fact. Angels always show up in very important moments. They brought announcements which normally happened in conjunction with amazing circumstances and crucial events. I believe something similar is happening in Acts 5.19. An angel is sent not because God could not open the prison doors himself. Of course, he could. But because this is a very important moment in the history of the church, the angel is there to set this moment apart. And I believe here's the message that he's sending. The apostle's supernatural release by the angel points to the fact that God's word will never be silenced nor contained. God is saying, in effect... Neither the evil of men, nor persecution, nor walls of a prison cell, nor wars, nor immorality or corruption or decay can or will prevent my word from going forth. The word of God will not be bound by anything or anyone. And it is on record for us to know as well. Consider the encouragement, brothers and sisters. Before his death on the cross, Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. After his death on the cross, the resurrected Jesus told his disciples, Go and make more disciples. Go into all the nations. And right before his ascension into heaven, Jesus told them, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. By sending the angel to release the apostles, Jesus himself is confirming his own words. Nothing will stop my gospel from reaching the ends of the earth. Nothing and no one can stand against me. The power of the gospel has been unleashed. Angel, open the door. This is an important moment. Thus, Jesus sent his angel. But there is another angelic appearance Elsewhere in the Bible that I believe powerfully demonstrates the importance of this moment. So don't let go of the angel just yet. I will unpack what I mean as we come into our next point, which we will do right now. Let us consider the words spoken by the angel to the apostles. For these words reveal the purpose of divine intervention. In other words, why did he intervene through the angel? Here's the answer, verse 20, to speak the gospel to speak the gospel verse 20 go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this what life here's the verse that proves the main point of the passage god intervened through the angel and released the apostles from prison so that they could do what i'm doing right now speak that was their task But here are two things verse 20 reveals about the apostolic task. First, we see the method of their task, clearly defined. They were to speak, to speak. That was their only strategy. The apostolic ministry, just like Christian ministry now, is a ministry of words, words. In that sense, Christian ministry is quite simple, if you think about it. As one pastor said one time, all the church needs on a Sunday morning Is the word of God and a talking head? That's all we need. The word of God and a talking head. We ought to speak because words are the conveyor belt of biblical truth. But not only do we see the method of apostolic ministry, in the second place, we also see the substance of their task clearly defined. What was the substance of their ministry? The gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, they were not free to speak whatever they wanted. They had a very exclusive message to proclaim. But notice how the angel refers to Jesus. What does he call him? The life. The words of this life. There are several reasons why that word is used to speak of Jesus. But for the sake of time, I will only address three. Three reasons. Jesus is the life in the first place because he himself is eternal life. The son of God shares in the life of the Father just like the Spirit does. In other words, there has never been a moment in which the son of God was not. Hence the words of Jesus in John 8:58, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is life itself. Second, Jesus is the life because by the Holy Spirit, He grants eternal life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said that it is the Spirit who gives life. But who has the authority to send the Spirit into the world? The risen Jesus. In fact, the entire book of Acts is about the resurrected Jesus giving life to his people through the Holy Spirit. And here's the third reason. The angel refers to Jesus as the life. Very important. Jesus reverses death. Jesus reverses death, which brings us back to the angel. See, I told you not to let go of the angel. Are you still holding on to the angel? Okay. This brings us back to the angel. Remember the immediate context. The angel released the apostles so that they could speak the words of this life, meaning the gospel of Jesus. A moment ago, I mentioned that there is another angelic appearance that also takes place during a very important moment in the history of redemption. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. As you go there, let me explain what is going on. The fall of Adam brought death, which in its very essence means separation from God. We see this in the fact that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. They were expelled from the, pra- from the place in which God and man could meet. Now, because of sin... Man is placed outside of this temple-like garden, symbolizing that he no longer has access to God. Now death has entered into the world. Man was cut off from life in God's presence. Listen to that. Man was cut off from life in God's presence. Follow as I read in Genesis 3, verse 24. He, meaning God, drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. The what? The cherubim. And a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The tree of what? The tree of life. Notice, who was placed at the entrance of the garden? A cherubim. An angel. And notice why he was placed there, to block the way back to the tree of life. In case you're not seeing it, let me show you why I bring this up. With an angel, God announced to the world, you are out. You are out. But now because of the Lord Jesus, also with an angel... God announces to the world, you can get back in. Using an angel, God announced the closing of life in his presence. Also using an angel, God is announcing the opening of life in his presence. The angel of Genesis 3 said, the door has been closed because of Adam. You cannot come in. The angel of Acts 5 says, the door has been opened because of Jesus. Go and tell the world that they can come in. Now, in just a few moments, we will partake of the Lord's Supper in which we remember the blood of Jesus shed for us and the body of Jesus broken for us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, our Lord, has brought us back into the life which can only be found in Him and in Him alone. At the table of the Lord, God Himself reminds us that because of His Son, Jesus Christ, we are welcome back into His presence. We used to be outside, wallowing in our sin But now, because of the blood that cleanses us from all sin, we can enter that palace and sit at the table with the king. Jesus has brought us back to life. God in Christ welcomes us to himself. In Ephesians 2.18, we read, For through him, meaning Christ, we both, all believers, have access in one spirit to the Father. So to those of you in this room who are non-believers, I ask, what are you doing outside? Christ Jesus has opened the door to life. In God, the angel released the apostles so that the word pertaining to this life that is found in Jesus might reach your ears. That's why the angel released the apostles 2,000 years ago, so that this word might reach your ears this morning. And this is the explosive nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It cannot be contained. It cannot be bound. On that day, the apostles were told to preach it. 2,000 years later, on this day, I am preaching it to you. Jesus himself, the giver of life, calls you to repent and to believe in his name, and you shall be saved. Now consider with me the results of divine intervention. We have seen the means of divine intervention, the purpose of divine intervention, and now consider the results of divine intervention is a twofold result it had a one effect on the apostles and it had a different effect on the Jewish leaders consider what it produced in the apostles verse 21a bold obedience bold obedience verse 21 and when they heard this meaning the words of the angel they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach and then verse 25 look The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. It is important to know that the apostles did not wait around inside the prison cell for the Jewish authorities to authorize their release. They didn't say to the angel, Wait a minute, angel, we were told to stay inside. You are going to get us into trouble. The apostles understood themselves to be operating under a much, much higher authority than that of the Jewish temple authorities, as Peter will make clear in chapter 5, verse 29. But there is something else taking place in verse 21. Check this out. Don't miss this. The Bible says that when they heard this, they entered the temple. The apostles are showing us a vivid example Of faith. The apostles are showing us a vivid example of faith. Don't miss this. We were talking about this in Spanish Sunday school. Faith. What is faith? Faith is hearing and believing in order to do. That's faith. Faith is hearing and believing in order to do. Or we can expand on that and put it like this Faith is hearing God's word. Believing God's word in order to act according to God's word. Why is Abraham the father of those who have faith? He is the father of those who have faith or who are of the faith in part because he sets the pattern of faith. Abraham believed God's word as shown in the fact that he acted upon hearing God's word. Abraham heard the word of God and Abraham acted accordingly. Noah is another example of faith. Like Abraham, Noah heard about coming judgment and he believed that word. And what did he do? He built an ark. He heard, he believed, he acted. Likewise, the apostles are showing us a vivid picture of faith because they too Heard the word of God through the angel, believed the word of God, and entered the temple in obedience. That's faith. Now, there's much application for us here, but I'll save that for the conclusion. Here's the second result. Great perplexity. Second half of verse 21 through verse 26. Having discovered the horror of an empty prison cell, the Bible says that the authorities were greatly perplexed. Great perplexity. The word conveys the idea of confusion, lack of answers, bewilderment. What a contrast. While the apostles were led to deeper faith and greater boldness, the authorities were led to deeper confusion and greater hostility. But notice what's going on in verse 26. It says that the authorities did not use force because they were afraid of the people. Two things I want to point out briefly. First, Intimidation by force was the only weapon they had against the apostles. There was nothing else they could do. Why? Don't miss this. Because unbelief is helpless to explain the grace of God in the lives of God's people. Unbelief is helpless to explain the grace of God in the lives of God's people. Second, that this was the work of God became undeniable to everyone. God was with the apostles. The people knew it. Therefore, the authorities became afraid. This is a turning point in the story. This is a turning point in the story of the church. After the supernatural release of the apostles, we know that at least one member of the council became concerned. And this member was none other than Paul's rabbi, Gamaliel. And this, by the way, reveals how Luke, the writer of Acts, got his information, probably either from Paul, who was a member of the council, Or from Paul's rabbi, Gamaliel. In any case, it is Gamaliel who will solemnly caution the Jewish authorities in verse 39. If this is of God, he says, you will not be able to overthrow them. How telling. How telling. The knowledge that God was for the apostles did not lead the authorities to faith, but only to confusion and jealousy. They were not open to the evidence. They were trapped inside their own selfish desires. So, now let me bring this home by giving you a few things to consider. Consider with me first the simplicity of our task. Speak, open your mouth, speak. God, in his wisdom and grace, has determined that salvation comes through words. Through words. Words are all we have. That's our only weapon. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The what of the cross? The word of the cross. This doesn't mean that the gospel is just one word. But it does mean that no words, no gospel. Hence, the command given to the apostles. Go to the temple and open your mouth. Speak. Christianity Christianity is about conforming all areas of life to biblical truth which comes to us in words both written and spoken written in the bible spoken in in preaching and teaching brothers and sisters words are all we have it is not surprised then that the number one strategy against truth is what silencing In my home country of Chile, things are changing very, very fast. For the first time, the president of my country is openly communist. And now they are in the process of rewriting the Constitution. One of the things being proposed in the new Constitution is a severe limitation on religious freedom, meaning if the Constitution is passed, Christians will be told to keep their faith to themselves. Stop speaking stop speaking. That's what they want. The apostles, thankfully, were under a higher order. And so are we. So are we. The authority of Jesus has not diminished. The call of Christians has not changed. We make disciples. We make disciples. Therefore, We must speak. Silence, Christian brother and sister, is not an option for you. So, in times like these, when the pressure is on, don't isolate. Keep speaking the truth in love. Speak truth to yourself, speak truth to your spouse, to your children. To your grandchildren and to your circle of influence. Be wise, yes, but don't be quiet. Second, consider the substance of our ministry. The substance of our ministry, Scripture. Scripture. Here's a practical thing for you to never forget this book, this book is the most powerful power. The world has ever seen because this book is the word of God in written form therefore it cannot be contained bound or silenced when people stand against the truth of God's word they are standing against the one whose word this is God himself the Jewish leaders tried to silence the apostles but in truth and shockingly they were really trying to silence God and on that day, they discovered that you simply can't. And to this day, the Word of God continues to increase around the world. Our calling as Christians is to unleash the Word into all the world and let it do its work. When asked how the Protestant Reformation took place, Martin Luther said, I didn't do anything. The Word did everything. The Word works. The Word works. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Even now, God is working in our hearts. How is the Word at work in us? First, Because it is the Word of God, obviously enough. Thus, the Word of God is the power of God. Second, the Word is at work in us because it testifies about Jesus, the Savior of the world and the Lord of all things. This is how God saves. And third, the Scripture is the sword of the Spirit. As such, it is the Spirit who takes the Word, and with it, He cuts away our sin, and with it, He molds us into the image of Christ. Therefore, if you think about it, every time we engage with Scripture, we are also engaging in communion with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Word is where the power of God is. And at GCC, we have this one desire— to unleash this word, both locally and globally. That's it. But as we do so, we must also consider the next point. The response of unbelief, the response of unbelief, perplexity, perplexity. The Jewish leaders were perplexed and were asking themselves, didn't we put them in prison? How can they be free? Are we not intimidating them through force? How can they continue to preach? Now, it is unlikely we'll be thrown in prison, although the possibility is becoming more and more real. But we might not be rescued by a supernatural intervention, as in the case of the apostles. However, the perplexity of the world continues because of the following. Christians won't shut up about the truth. Christians won't shut up. That's perplexing to unbelievers. Why is it that Christians don't join the world in its way of thinking and living? Why is it that someone is willing to live, to suffer, and even die for this person named Jesus and his gospel? Why is it that prison doesn't work, shaming doesn't work, persecution doesn't work, ridicule doesn't work, and threatening doesn't work to shut them up? Why don't you just shut up, Christian? Why is it that no matter what the world does, the church keeps on going? The answer is in our final points for consideration. The victory of the believer. The victory of the believer. What is that victory? Faith. Faith. Upon hearing the words of God through the angel, the apostles entered the temple and began to teach. They acted In faith. And here is a crucial lesson for you and I to remember faith doesn't question God's word, it simply seeks to understand it in order to obey it. That's faith. Faith doesn't question God's word, it simply seeks to understand it in order to obey it. Faith is not innovative, we like innovation. But faith is not innovative. In other words, faith does not reinvent itself according to the latest scientific discoveries, current social trends, culturally acceptable norms, or personal preferences. Faith is not innovative, rather, faith is submissive. Faith submits to God's word. Submit by believing in it and acting and living according to it. That's the Christian faith. Imagine if the apostles would have said, Mr. Angel, do you even understand what you're asking us to do? Do you realize that if we leave this prison cell and start preaching, they will find us and punish us severely? We'll stay inside. Thankfully, that's not what they said. Rather, the apostles heard the words, believed the words, and obeyed the words. They left the consequences up to God. Why does this matter to us? It matters to us because this is how we ought to live. To live by faith means to live in submission to God's written word. God speaks to us in his written word. And if we want to be like the apostles, then our duty is to hear God's word, understand what it says, and live in submission to it. What did John mean when he said, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith? It means this. The world may try to overcome our faith, destroy our faith, silence our faith, etc. But the world can ultimately, cannot ultimately overcome true faith because true faith is rooted in God's absolute truth, which does not change and it will never change. So when by faith we believe that in the beginning God created the world, then evolution did not create the world, no matter what atheistic science might say. And there is a meaning to this world. We walk by faith. When by faith we believe what the Word says, that we must flee sexual immorality, then we know that that is good for us. We walk by faith. When by faith we believe that God created them, male and female, husband and wife, then anything outside of that is evil, no matter what the culture says. We walk by faith. The applications are endless. But I'll stop there. At some point we got to go eat lunch. But I end with this. I end with this. Don't miss this point. Our faith... Our faith will be tested. Our faith will be tested. And the test will come primarily through this one subtle question. Did God actually say? Has God spoken? Don't miss what I'm about to say. Has God spoken? If you are hesitating On that question, then you are entering the dangerous world of deconstructionism where faith, your faith, will slowly crumble under the pressures and temptations of the world. It is all about that question. Has God spoken? If you are not hearing, believing, and doing, which is faith then you will be hearing, questioning, and rebelling. There is no place in the middle. So my brother and sister, because of the love of God and the authority of God's word, I tell you, don't go to that place. God has spoken. The apostles knew it, and they lived accordingly. Therefore, What you and I must do is what the hymn says, trust and obey. This is how our faith overcomes the world. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, which will endure forever. For in it, we find the truth, a truth divine, for we know that Our only wisdom can come from above. So I pray for for this body of believers right here, including myself. May our confidence rest upon this written testimony. And may we live with the confidence that the power of the gospel has been unleashed. That we are a living testimony of the power of this gospel in our own lives. So we pray that you will continue to mold us into the image of Christ. And we pray for those who are lost, who are walking under the deception of Satan and the lies of the world, that they will come to the light of your word. So, Father, now do what only you can do, and that is to send the Spirit into our hearts and to plant this truth deep within. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.